a few days ago. For those of you who celebrated a special event, whether it's an anniversary or a birthday or just a random family gathering, we hope you all had a fun time. And for those of you who had a week that wasn't the best, it wasn't that great of a week, well, I hope that next week will be better for you. I hope that things look better. hope that things pick up, and I hope it all goes well for you in the future. You know, times that we're living in, it's getting scarier, is it not? The world is so scary right now, especially even in where we live in our city of New York. We have random hate crimes against people of color. We have random attacks on the subway. And what seemed to be months or perhaps weeks in between the mass shootings that our country suffers from, now it just seems to be every other day that we see another news clipping of something that happened in some part of the states where there is another shooting and more victims and more bloodshed and tears. In the past month, we had shootings in a hair salon, a church, a school, supermarket, a hospital. It's just crazy the way things are going. And I'm not trying to be political on this, but I think we can all agree that we hope that the senseless violence and the mass shootings in this country will end. Now, as you have listened to this introduction of mine, you may have noticed a word that I have been continually repeating in what I've been saying, and the word that I repeated was hope. Hope. We use this word hope when we throw it around very easily, very simply. How many times have you used the word hope this past week or this past month or yesterday, perhaps even Hope is a word that we find in the Bible a number of times. But what is biblical hope? How is the hope we see in our scriptures and in our readings for today different from the hope that we use uh, as English uh, speakers? This letter, 1 Peter, was written by the Apostle Peter, and it was sent out to, to believers that was spread out in the Roman Empire, all the way to parts of Asia. So it's not a letter that was written to a single church that, uh, that Paul usually writes to uh, target a, a, a problem to fix or to point out or to encourage them to members. This was to send out to all believers across the Roman Empire to encourage them, right? To encourage them during their trials, to encourage them during their sufferings and their persecutions because they have hope, see that word again, hope in eternal salvation. Peter addresses this group as the elect exiles. In other translations, it says chosen people who are not supposed to be where they are currently at. And because they are exiles, they're all hoping for or looking towards a different home that they will eventually get to an eternal home that they long for and that they hope for. Verse 3 in our passage says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is praising God because of what he has done for his children through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ causes us, all of us, those who believe in him, to gain eternal life. Right? The gospel message, those who believe 
will have the hope to live forever with God in heaven. Last week, we held our monthly communion service at our church. When we remembered the sacrifice of Jesus, we partook in the body of Christ that was broken for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. You know, many times uh, as we live our life, I feel as Christians, we focus a lot on the death of Jesus, right? How, how many times do we catch ourselves saying, oh, remember, man, Jesus died for you. Jesus sacrificed, God sacrificed Jesus for you, right? Which is all true. It's all good. But we don't follow that up by, you know, Jesus, he was raised for you. Jesus resurrected for you. Jesus was brought back to life for you, right? The death of Jesus is important, but it's also important to always remember Jesus' resurrection <clears throat> because Jesus' resurrection is ultimately what gives us the power to live forever. Jesus' defeat of death gives us the eternal life. If Jesus had only died for us, then we would still be bound to sin and death. It's the resurrection, and through this resurrection, we receive the blessings of eternal life. Verse 4 tells us this by saying it gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The hope that we see mentioned in verse 3, the living hope, is now expressed as an inheritance. And if you look at the Old Testament, when it talked about inheritance, for the most part, it was pointing to the promised land. Okay, uh, Typically pointed to the promised land. The promise from Abraham, I'll give you this uh, land. Now, this points to an even greater inheritance for us and to the believers that Peter was writing to. Basically, he's saying, we are promised heaven that's imperishable, that will not go away, it will not fade, it will not be undefiled, right? Israelites express, experience the loss of their land. Israelites, they were freed from Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness, and they took over Canaan. They got the promised land, but after years and years of sin and sin, they lost it, right? It was taken away from them. And in the story that we're at right now, during the time of Peter, it was now under the rule of the Roman Empire. The people, the elect exiles of the dispersion, were now spread out to the various corners of this empire. They lost the inheritance promised in the Old Testament, promised to their forefathers. But now Peter is saying that the inheritance is something that can never be taken away from you with the hope we have the faith that we have, we can gain eternal life. The perseverance of saints. Right? Verse 5 says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is saying that God is guarding us through his power so that we can sustain our faith until the end so that we can receive the promised future salvation. You know, my kids, being as young as they are, when we go somewhere that they might feel a little bored, we allow them to bring a toy or a, a book or something like that, right? So, for example, if we go to a restaurant, uh, we don't want our kids to be on YouTube or see, uh, look at our phones. So, if they finish early, they're allowed to, like, read a book that they brought or, or something like that. Or even church, you know, I have to come a little bit early. So, my kids, you might see them running around with a book or, or dinosaurs or something like that, right? 
And, and they like their toys. They like their toys. They like their books and such. But being kids, what eventually happens is they get distracted by something else, right? So they come to church and uh, they're reading a book or they're playing and then they see their friends come. Like, oh, let me just like leave this on this random table out in this random room and I'm going to go play with them. And when we get to the car, I'll be like, where's your toy? Oh, where's your book? Ah, left it. But being (laughs) the guy that I am, that I don't want to go back up the hill to get this toy, I... If I see their book or if I see their toy just lying around, I change it. I take it and I hold on to it. And I don't tell them about it. I just hold on to it. And then when we get to the car, I ask them about it. And they say, I forgot it. I left it. I say, I have it. I have it. It's here. It's in mom's bag. It's in my bag. What have you. In the same way, God is the one that is guarding our faith. Yes, it's up to us to continue and maintain our faith, to work out our faith, to grow our faith. But God is the one that guards it, right? It's on God who's restoring this relationship uh, with us, We hold on to our faith, but really God's power helps us sustain, just as Peter is saying here. God will be the one that guards us and guides us to our salvation that is yet to be revealed. Verses 6 and 7, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We all face trials and difficulties and struggles in life. The struggles that we have may be different depending on our age group, uh, perhaps even our genders, perhaps even our economic status. But what kinds of trials are you facing right now? Right? What is a suffering or what is a hardship that you are facing currently? And if I had to pull this entire room, I might end up with 50 different answers. Right? Some of them might be in common, but some might be different. Right? For our younger generation, our younger members in here, those of our uh, youth group uh, students. It may be tests. It might be SATs that are coming up. It might be finishing this school year well. It can be feeling misunderstood by your friends and your peers. It might be feeling misunderstood by your parents, the awkwardness of that stage of like, I don't want to really be with my mom and dad anymore. It can be the stress and the worries that you see in this world. Uh, Our younger generation, (laughs) for all the adults in here, uh, we need to really pray for our youth group members and our younger kids because I feel they have more stress than us, right? Because they have news 24-7 coming to them, right? As a child growing up, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't, I didn't see the news. I didn't watch the news. That was like a dad thing, a mom thing. So I didn't know, if there were school shootings, I wouldn't know about it, right, when I was younger. If there was like climate change or global, I would, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal. But now for these kids, they see it every day on their news feeds and stuff like that. So they're like, oh, crap, I got this and I got that, right? So it's not just these personal trials that they face, but it's like thinking about what's going on in the world that they face as well. For some of our older members, it may be similar, right? Relationship trials. Are you having good relations with your spouse, with your parents, or with your children? Are you having difficulty finding a spouse or a significant other? Are you having trouble with finances that you don't really want to share because you feel like everyone else is, you know, 
living a good life that you just kind of hide it and you don't want to be like, oh, I'm the, the poor friend or I'm the one that's struggling in this area. Right? It could be health issues for yourself or for a loved one. As we're all getting older, we just find out like our back just randomly hurts now, our shoulder just like strains and we're just in pain. Right? What is the struggle, the trial that you're facing right now? For all of us, it can be just navigating this Christian life. How do we be a Christian in this world? Living out our faith in this world, in a city that's just turning more and more further and further away from what we believe to be the gospel truth and the way that God desires us to live in the day, the way that God desires us to believe in things. This was a trial that the Christians during Peter's time was facing as well political challenges, relationship challenges, being a Christian in a world where they can be life-threatened by, right? They can, their life can be threatened by being a Christian in the Roman Empire times. Your trials, no matter what they are, are no less important than the trial of the person sitting next to you. No matter what we are facing, if it causes you certain frustrations, certain doubts, or even a restless spirit at night, then they are trials that can grieve us, the same as the trials that grieved the Christians who received this letter from Peter. But what Peter is saying is we want you to come out of these trials stronger. Whatever hardship you go through, at the end, we hope that your faith is deepened by it, not shaken by it. Verse 7 tells us that the trials we face test the genuineness of our faith. Think about the one, think about the one of the first tests of faith that we see in the Bible, right? Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was instructed to sacrifice his beloved son, his one only son that it was God was that God had given to him at a ripe old age. He said, go take him up this mountain and sacrifice him unto me. Abraham waited for this child. He prayed about this child. He desired this child so much. But when God told him this, sacrifice your son to me, what did Abraham do? He listened. He obeyed. He probably wrestled with his feelings a little bit. But he climbed that mountain. He climbed that mountain. He still tied down his son. And he still raised the knife until the angel stopped him. The beginning of the story, Genesis 20, 22, verse 1 says, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. God tested the genuineness of Abraham's obedience to him. Likewise, though it is hard, we go through the trials that we face in this life, and we're, we are put through the trials of this life so that the genuineness of our faith is tested. Do you truly believe? Are you certain about this. Do you truly believe in me that I, not me, I, but God, I, will take care of everything in the future? Do you truly believe that? And if you do, then you're able to overcome these bumps and, and bruises that are thrown at you. Verse 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter saw Jesus. Peter loved Jesus and Peter knew Jesus. We have not seen Jesus, but we love Jesus. 
the same as Peter did. And we grow to know Jesus, hopefully, in the way that Peter did. And perhaps, in a way, that is the proof of our faith, not seeing and yet still believing, right? As Jesus said to Thomas in John chapter 21, verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's true faith. When we don't see it and we still believe in it. The hope we have, the living hope that we have, is that after facing all this hardship in this world, as we keep our faith, as God guards our faith, we will have the result of eternal life in heaven. And we hope and we long for that. That is what true hope is. Hope, a word I said so many times. What does hope mean? What does hope mean? Rather, what does biblical hope mean? In this sense, living hope means. The way we use the word in English today is very different from what it meant for a believer to say, I have hope. I have living hope. As I shared in the beginning of my sermon, I hope you all had a good week. I hope it feels bad that I hope next week is better for you. I hope things change for the better. I hope you had a good birthday. The way we use hope has become synonymous with the word wish, right? Wish. So I could easily say, oh, I wish I had a good week. I wish I have a good week next week. I wish things get better for you, right? I could change the word hope and wish, and you would still understand what I'm trying to say. It'll have this, basically the same meaning for you, right? So I hope for us becomes I wish. I hope I could buy a house becomes I wish I could buy a house. I hope I get a good job is, I wish I get a good job. I hope I get into the college that I want and major in what I want. It becomes, I wish I get into the college that I want and major in what I want. You see? Hope and wish. But not so here, the way Peter is using it and how hope is used in the Bible. The way that we use the word hope, we don't know how things will turn out. There's no certainty behind it. There's the outcome. I could hope for a house, but I may never be able to buy a house. I just don't know. Right? It's just I wish, I hope things go well, but I don't know if it will. That is not the hope here in the Bible. That's not the hope that Peter writes about here. That's not the hope that we hold on to when we say, I put my hope in God. Right? Hope in the Greek is elpis, this word called elpis. Elpis is not like our English word hope, which is wishful or a feeling or desire that something will happen. Elpis, the Greek word for hope, is expectation. It's trust. It's confidence. It's also certainty. It's I know. I know. I expect. I am confident in this. So when Peter wrote that we have a living hope in everlasting life, he's saying we are confident in everlasting life. We know for certain we will have everlasting life, eternal life in heaven because God promised it. Because God says so. Not we wish we have eternal life. Elpis comes with certainty and with confidence. In English, hope, confidence, expect, it's all different. But in our Greek Bible, hope, 
confidence, expectation, it's all the same. It's all the same word. Do you have this living hope? And when Peter writes a living hope, it's not dead. It's continuing to grow. The hope in you should be growing just as much as the faith in you is growing. As your faith grows in the world, then you know for certain, more certain each day that passes, I know this is where I'm headed. I know when this world passes, I will be in heaven with God. And the doubt is removed. And the uncertainty is removed when I say, I hope in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. Are you certain about your faith? Are you confident in what we believe and know it to be true? As Christians, as humans, as sinners, we all go through times of doubt, right? When we face trials, those doubts come even more. How many of you have ever questioned your faith? How many of you have thought, well, is this real? Have many of you, when facing really, real, real hardship in life, said, God, are you still there? Are you there? Am I supposed to continue in this way if this is the lot in life that I am receiving? I know when the world comes at us, when things get tough in our lives, when nothing seems to be going right, I know that we can falter. We can lose this hope. I shared this with some people in here um, through some devotions that I've shared, but there's somebody uh, that I know that is struggling really hard right now. Uh, This person was uh, a great man of faith. He served at his church very well. He served in different capacities at his church. He seemingly had a strong faith, a strong relationship with God. But this man has fallen on hard times. His health is failing him. He's not well. He's not well in his, in his health. And he's not optimistic in his life outlook. And he's down on himself. It was a shock to me how things had changed, how his attitude towards God changed, how attitude to everything changed once he became sick. When things are going well, like, oh yeah, God is good, God is that, God is... But when the doctors kind of told him it's not looking too great, it's not like he lost that. right? It wasn't like, oh well, at least I know that... I'm going to go to a place where I won't have this sickness anymore. I still have this hope in the Lord. It's just like this crying and tears and sadness. It's understandable, but that's where he is at right now. It makes me wonder, what happened to the man that I knew before? That now that he's at this time where he probably needs God the most, where he needs God the most, he's just saying, I don't want to deal with that. He needs God the most right now, but he's saying, forget that. I just want to live. I want a better doctor. Instead of holding on to the living hope, he's trying to live for a different type of hope, a hope that uh, there will be a cure, a hope that something, a miracle could happen. But he doesn't put that hope in God. He's trying to put that on the doctors and such. And because of that, he's becoming sad and bitter and fearful. 
like I said, is understandable, is very understandable. But if Peter, if what Peter says here is true, then though we may grieve because of our trials, they show a genuine faith that results in the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. What that means is, no matter what we face in this world, in the end, hopefully, if you are a true believer, it brings you to a place of joy and a praise of God, even though you're going through a time of suffering. Why? Because God never promised an easy life. God never said, once you become a Christian, all your problems will disappear. He probably said more problems might arise. You might be persecuted for your faith. God never promised comfortableness. Rather, God promised one thing. In the end, you will be with me. I'll be with you throughout, but in the end is when you will be with me. And there will be no more problems. Our hope isn't for everything in this lifetime to go well. Rather, that our God will be true to his words to us and keep the promise that he made to bring us to him when all is said and done. That is the hope that we have. Hope is not in a good earthly life, away from any pain and suffering. Rather, hope is an eternity, an inheritance that is unperishable, an eternity with God in heaven, knowing that when this world ends or our time on this earth ends, we'll be in a place where there is no longer any of these pains and trials and sufferings. So do you have this faith? Do you have this hope? Do you believe in the one true God, the one who sent his son to die and resurrect for us, to give us eternal and life and this living hope? And I truly hope that you do. I hope that you do. And if you are here still trying to figure it out, we're here the pastors, other pastors, and myself, to help you in this walk of faith, to bring you to a place where in your heart of hearts you will have this hope, this elpis. What do you praise God for? How do you look at this word hope? The English translation for the word, the Greek word hope is elpis. Hope. It makes us think, oh, I'm sorry, I'll say it again. The English word for hope is wish. I wish this will happen. I hope this will happen. But our hope, our hope in the Lord is more than that. It's confidence, trust, and certainty, knowing that God, the God of all creation, who created all things that we see in this world, loves us very much, chosen us to save us, and to live with God in eternity through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Praise God for this living hope that God has given you. And hold on to this hope. Know that God's power is guarding your faith. Though the world may throw you through the ringer, though this world may become an even bigger dumpster fire than sometimes it feels it is, do not put your hope in anything else. Because everything else fails. 
we've witnessed that this past week with these shootings. Authorities fail. Governments fail. But our God never fails. So we don't put our hope in worldly authority. We put our hope in God who has sovereign authority over all things. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God's promises. This isn't, wow, seeing how things are in life, I hope or I wish God is real, or I hope or I wish God remembers his promises. Rather, it's, wow, even seeing how my life is going, the trials that I've faced, of whatever's happening in the world, even though I see the evil and the pain and the suffering in this world, at times in life, I hope, Elpis, I know, and I'm confident that God is real. I hope, Elpis, I'm expectant and confident that God will remember me, guard me, and remember his promises given to me and all his believers. Hope, my brothers and sisters, is more than wishful thinking. Hope is alive. It's living. It is real. It's confidence and trust in who God is and what God says he will do for us. Go out, face the world, live your life with this living hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for being our God, a God who does not change his mind, a God who is not man that would change his mind, but a God who does what he says he will do. And Lord, we put our hope, we put our elpis in that, Lord Father, a living hope, Lord. Lord, even though we go through trials for a little while, we pray that you'll help us to come out of it stronger, that you'll truly guard our faith and guard our hearts to know that you are real and put our hope in you and in you alone, O oh Lord. I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll be with my brothers and sisters here, your elect exiles, your chosen people, that you'll continue to guide them and bring them to a better understanding of you and a stronger hope in you, O oh Lord. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, now <clears throat> we're going to have a time of offering. For those of you who are new to our church or just visiting for the first time, we welcome you. I'm glad that you have chosen this Sunday to join us uh, today. 